Connecting Coaches Cognition. Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed coaching for the coach. Welcome back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm here with... Violet Christensen. Violet, what's new in your world? For me, I'm really um, grateful and relishing in um, an old new. I am loving the fact that as a parent of an elementary school child that I am able to see their first music program with all the little cherubs on the risers and hamming it up in front of their parents and all of us in there despite being masked. Um, we just really, it was so beautiful to see Stella's first music program. And it's a big shout out to specials teachers and specialists that they put in so much work all year for the art show or the music program or for field day to create these really robust learning experiences for our students. And I'm just grateful as a teacher and as a parent and as an educator that I'm able to partake in some of those things and see all of the the wonderment of your kid, like blowing kisses from, from the stage and, and flexing because they're growing up healthy and strong, which the whole program is about. So I think that um, I can speak for all parents that we're loving seeing this slight bit of normalcy come back in education and that we get to revel in the milestones with our kiddos. And I'm sure your daughter was not shy at all up there on that stage. She's probably right at home despite it being her first concert. She was loving it, definitely. She was throwing out kisses, and they did a superhero song, and she was being Spider Girl, and she was right there with her best friend um, showing off in the front and enjoying every single moment of that music program with um, that amazing music teacher who put it on. So it was just, it was one of those beautiful moments you get to kind of capsule and put away for later. Nice. Tell me, Courtney, what's going on in your world? Just a lot of coaching and focus around our foundations implementation. And I was in kindergarten yesterday and just watching these students really grasp writing sentences now. And their handwriting is beautiful. Their spelling is amazing. And just really, you know, looking at the solid implementation of a program. And when we stick to that implementation and how the program was designed, what the results can be. And, it, you know, in kindergarten, it's so apparent. There's awesome things happening in every grade with it. Um, but you see such a visible difference in kindergarten from them not knowing their letters and sounds to now like they're writing beautiful sentences and, you know, can form all the letters properly. So it's just a lot of fun seeing all the growth. It's that time of the year that you get to sit back and watch all the hard work the teachers put in. And now they're starting to finally see it in their students as well. Well, and how blessed those educators are there to have you there to celebrate with them and to be able to find great ways to celebrate with their students. It's such, it's such a vibrant time of the year. Definitely. Today, we're so lucky to have Rebecca Fraser with us. She has centered her professional career around learning and sharing how to become an effective coach in a variety of situations. When teachers feel encouragement and love, as well as being supported by a technically skilled and competent coach, both the positive energy to persevere and the skills needed to meet difficult challenges are produced. This holistic way of delivering coaching that includes a focus on a personal development benefits all involved in the process, students, teachers, coaches, and leaders. 
Rebecca's doctoral research includes a qualitative and quantitative study dedicated to answering the question, what makes an effective instructional coach? The answers she found became the foundation for her book, The Joy of Coaching, Characteristics of Effective Instructional Coaches. Her years as a classroom teacher, an instructional coach, trainer of instructional coaches, district facilitator for coaching programs developed, and a K-8 principle have provided her with a multi-tiered perspective of the coaching process. Rebecca sees coaching as the go-to professional development strategy that when delivered with warmth and power can inspire joy and professional success. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on C3, Connecting Coaches Cognition podcast today. We are thrilled to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Courtney and Violet. I'm so excited for this opportunity. Well, we are excited to share you with all of our listeners, so let's jump right in. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your background in education and about your role currently and how you've gotten to this space? Sure. So my background is varied. Uh, I started as, when I was a young mom, I started subbing K-12 in many subject areas two days a week. And basically, wherever I was needed is where I showed up. And this wide range of experiences helped a great deal when I became a K-12 coach. I began working as a fourth and fifth grade teacher and was at the same school for seven years. And I loved being a teacher. And I still miss being with kids. My favorite thing about Facebook is that my students have a way to contact me when they become adults. (laughs) So during the time that I was teaching, our district had a program called Teachers Coaching Teachers, where teachers could come to model classrooms and learn through observation. I informally began coaching when teachers were brought to my classroom to learn about different areas of instructional practice. I became a national board certified teacher around the same time that I was hired to become a district coach. I spent three years as an instructional coach and then seven years as a coach and coordinator for the Teachers Coaching Teachers Program which was organized as a partnership with the district's professional development and human resources departments and our teachers union, which was an awesome partnership. That was just something I have to say that was one of the most wonderful things was that we were all working on something we all believed in together. Um, I think it's unusual in some ways. I haven't heard of, of departments getting together, you know, with their uh, teacher associations but it really was a wonderful situation to be coaching in. As a trainer of coaches, it was really important to me that I knew what I was doing. It was, um, you know, I was training these coaches, and I wanted to know how to do it well to provide the best coaching possible, to help them provide the best coaching possible. So I learned everything that I could with a focus on Jim Knight's work, and I began designing my doctoral studies to get answers to questions that I had The first one being, what makes an effective instructional coach? Those 10 years as a coach and the time I was privileged to spend with my coaching colleagues were magical. We learned so much together. Nancy, Kate, Chris, Chris, Rhonda, Jean, Judy, Mary, Deb, and so many more. Here's a shout out to you if you're listening. You absolutely rock. After spending some time as a principal, I took time off to finish writing the Joy of Coaching book. After I completed it, the pandemic was still going on, and with my husband being high risk, I decided to retire and start the Coach Happy business, which is based on the content found in the Joy of Coaching book. 
Each chapter of the book explains one of the characteristics identified through research that would be helpful for coaches to incorporate into their lives and coaching practices. Those characteristics are caring, competent, collaborative, authentic, a quality communicator, flexible, trustworthy, planned, able to provide models, and inspirational. Currently, I'm an educational consultant providing professional development for coaches and education leaders through online classes, presentations, and conference keynotes. I'm always so blown away by the rich background that all of our guests have. And, you know, a lot of people always ask, how do I get into coaching? And I always joke that coaching kind of finds you. Once you become that master teacher, you kind of get plucked out and all the different paths that coaching can take. I'm sure all of your varied work resonates um, throughout your book and your experience that you bring. I know you embrace a more holistic approach to coaching, trying to embrace the mind and the heart. Can you tell us more about your philosophy in coaching and how it came to be through your doctoral work? Yes, uh, I was fortunate to work with a wonderful team of coaches who were not afraid to dissect what was working and what was not working. So the first doctoral coaching study identified the characteristics of effective instructional coaches that I mentioned before. And I believe the most significant finding from that study was that both caring and competency were necessary for effective coaching to take place. And that using that combination when coaching created joy in the work and long-term success and connections for both the coach and the teacher. We came to the realization that we were too focused on data analysis and accountability and that our practices didn't include intentional relationship building. Competency was not an area of struggle for our team. Many of our team members were national board certified teachers and basically believed in evidence-based everything. <laughs> <laughs> we decided to add caring pieces to our coaching practices because the data said to do it, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so, of course, it's necessary to care about people and to show it, but the political educational climate at the time was full of sharp edges and prone to endorse force and punish methods for students and educators. This was wrong, and it just didn't work. We continued to include processes for goal setting and progress based on data collected, but then we added softer skill protocols that help teachers with powerful intangibles, such as motivation, commitment, and connection. One summer, I decided to develop a simple human connection form with processes and prompts for coaches to use that help teachers reconnect with or establish their whys and purposes for teaching. Our data-driven coaches asked for a variety of questions and prompts to choose from to be visibly available because we honestly weren't sure what to say at times in order to move to a more authentic type of relational coaching that the study indicated was needed. Even though our coaches were friendly people, being intentional and adding supports made an incredible difference in the building of trust between coaches and teachers and the speed at which coaching cycles could be completed. After the coaches had been trained in these new relational additions and we had changed our processes to include the more caring pieces, dissertation studies were conducted in part to see if the changes we made were working. So we had 69 coach teachers and 70 non-coach teachers in the study. And um, those quantitative studies analyzed 
growth in teacher competency, job satisfaction, and student growth. We had always taken data, uh, pre and post data, to look at our growth and see if we were being effective, but we had never compared it to teachers who were not coached. It's hard to do that. There's a lot that goes into, into that, and, um, but doing it through a doctoral program ensured that all the, everything was in place and um, kind of had a lot of checks and balances to make sure that it was a fair study. So we were thrilled at the results. Um, we knew we were taking a risk, could have really kind of killed our program almost, you know, but it, we were willing to take that risk. So coach teachers typically outperform non-coach teachers in 22 areas of instructional practice by four to five times. It was insane. I mean, it was exciting. And job satisfaction, this is the one that we just were floored by, but uh, 57 times more than the teachers who were not coached. Wow. Wow. And I think it was a time when people were so discouraged, so discouraged that just having someone with them to do this work and support was huge. Uh, the student growth study showed half a year more growth in reading for students grades three to five in coached teachers classes over five years when map data was available. Because this was a large district and many professional development opportunities were available for all teachers, these findings were even more significant. We felt our attempts to value both the hearts and minds of teachers by providing human-centered, balanced coaching was working well. We were also finding more joy in our coaching because we were authentically connecting with people and our lives were enriched with beautiful friendships as a result. It became an even more rewarding job. It's brilliant. It gave me chills when I'm hearing the data that you're being able to recite right off of there of a, a half a year's more reading growth or 57 times more That's job crazy. satisfaction. I mean, both Courtney and I's mouths fell open with a whoa right there. It, I, it, it's just tremendous to be able to hear that. And the fact that you're not willing to lose any of the competencies of your coach, but that you're putting that caring first in order to honor that rapport and relationship. So therefore, you can dig that much deeper into the competencies and into the instructional practices. That is just monumental. Well, if, if people are not there because they quit, you know, they kind of, the competency doesn't really matter. You know, I, it's, it's interesting um, how much, uh, we were so surprised. We knew people really enjoyed working with uh, people in our, our, the coaches in our program. But we had no idea that the other people that were not being coached did not feel uh, like they were, you know, satisfied in their job. And, you know, at least a lot less than those that were coached. So that was sad in a way. And, well, and we know that. We know that teachers are struggling in many ways. And having that partnership to just be heard or just be understood into the state in which they are is just monumental. And so you being able to be that listening ear and being able to walk side by side with them is unbelievably powerful, especially in this COVID teaching and COVID coaching moments. I We've always had that philosophy of rapport and relationships first, but your quantifiable data just really drives it home. I appreciate that, Rebecca. And you have so many different facets within your book of what joyful coaching is and the, the roots in which it comes from, but can you help us to break it down just a little bit and think about what are some tangible ways or applicable strategies that you could possibly pass on to our listeners to try to just apply tomorrow? What's a little piece that they could try to put, put forward first? Okay, so I think 
breaking things down into tiny little pieces <laughs> is really helpful for, for all of us. A powerful strategy that is super quick and easy to use is doing short bites of video practice on the teacher's phone until confidence happens. So I remember working with a first grade teacher who wanted to deliver her behavior expectations with actions related to her classroom theme, which was busy birds. But she was sure she would look stupid doing it. <laughs> so so we, uh, we had a lot of good laughs about this, but we made up bird type actions for things like raising your hand, looking up at the speaker, getting quiet, etc. And when she began to feel comfortable, I took videos of her animated delivery on her phone until she liked it. So now she had a record of how to do it, and she would play it when getting ready for work so she would feel confident doing it first thing in the morning. So, And there was another situation like this in middle school when a young teacher who looked really, really young was having trouble getting her class to take her seriously. And so we practiced her using a strong and confident voice over and over until the essence of strength was caught on the video and she could hear how it sounded. So using quick video is easy and it works. And it also has the added bonus of being able to replay it when, and replay your success whenever you need to see it. And we're a huge fan of video coaching. We have a partnership with Athena, which allows us to do tons of video. So I'm glad to hear that kind of echoed from you as well. Can you share a story of impact with us? Sure. Now, this one is, this is um, one that one of the coaches that I worked with uh, had. And Understanding cultural backgrounds, it really enriches our coaching practice. So if we're going to work with someone from a different culture, we should learn about it and, and try to, to really do a good job, a fair job, a meaningful job with them. Um, so this is a true story about a woman from India and what she faced when she began teaching in the United States. So a veteran teacher named Daksha, that her name has changed, moved from India to the United States and began teaching history in an urban middle school environment. She called for coaching support when, as she put it, these kids are totally out of control. So during her initial observation, the coach confirmed it. The students were showing blatant disregard for anything Daksha said, getting up and moving around so they could talk with their friends while she attempted to teach, throwing stuff across the room, not doing the work assigned, and talking back to Daksha using mean tones and sarcasm. So this was a really bad situation. Um, in, Doc's, in Doc's situation in India, so she was veteran. I mean, she had taught for a long time. Teachers in the teaching profession were highly regarded, and her students had been eager to learn. She said about India that I could stand up there and I could lecture the whole time, and students would take notes and soak it up with absolutely no behavior issues. So teaching middle school in America was an enormous culture shock for Daksha. To help Daksha make such a huge life transition, along with a professional tr transition, her coach learned as much as she could about Indian culture by reading the Indian section in the book, Kiss, Bow, or Shake, Kiss, Bow, and Shake Hands, the best-selling guide to doing business in more than 60 countries. She read Multicultural Manners. Um, the coach spent a lot of time asking questions and intently listening to Daksha's explanations about the differences between her teaching experiences in India and her current experience. And then the coach was open to new learning and tried to figure out how to honor and use Daksha's previous experiences as a veteran teacher and mesh them with the American culture to make Daksha's students successful. Daksha and her coach designed a classroom management plan using the processes 
using um, different processes and a checklist. A slideshow was developed to explain the process to students and to be easily referenced as needed. And this is what the coach had to say. We were very particular about the words we used as we prepared and practiced the plan. We built Doxy's confidence in order to effectively communicate the plan to her kids. She didn't really have to set expectations in India, so that part was challenging. She had never had to think about all the minute details we have to think about. She felt very strongly about no food, drink, or gum in the classroom. Well, a lot of teachers in America let students have snacks in class. So some of her students would not be able to eat until 1 p.m., so she decided to be a little more flexible with them and allowed them two minutes outside of class to eat before they came in. A coach um, said that she tr I tried to help her understand that if you want it, you have to teach it. So Daksha was in a new country, new city, new house, new district, new school, new classroom. She was using a new curriculum and materials, and everything was new and foreign to her. She didn't know what she could and couldn't do, what was expected of her. She didn't know basically anything. She was stunned by the disrespect from her students and the disregard and disrespect of teachers in general. When she contacted parents, some were receptive, but a lot of them were dismissive toward her about their child's behavior, and she didn't know what to do about that. So the coach developed, uh, helped her together. They collaboratively developed a classroom management system um, that created clarity through the ex expectations, what will happen when boundaries are broken, and then built in fun celebratory incentives. And then they de developed a reward system for PBIS tickets, kind of a, built their system into the school system. So the coaching situation turned out to be a wonderful success. Daksha quickly got on top of basic classroom management pieces and began to build relationships with students. The coach's dedication to being flexible and willing to learn about Indian culture enhanced the power of the coaching process and Daksha's willingness to trust the coach and consistently implement the ideas the coach shared made the classroom management plan work. I can only imagine how grateful Daksha was to have that coach in that moment to be able to guide her through that first year in American teaching in middle school, which could be daunting to anyone, um, anyone from anywhere. It could be daunting. So that I can only imagine her impact there. That is beautiful. You, Rebecca, are such a master coach, and we know so many of these things just roll off the tip of your tongue, and they're just in your back pocket, in your toolbox. Can you tell us a little bit, if you're thinking about, as we talked about earlier, this time in COVID coaching and teaching is very unique and a little bit different than we might have think pre-COVID, but what what is something, a pointer or something that you can give as a nugget to an early career coach in this time um, about how they can start to ease in, or what are some strategies for success for those newer coaches in this moment? Okay, so uh, I think first of all, new coaches, please remember that you're if, in a, if you are in a coaching role, you are good. People don't just land a coaching job without proving their worth in the classroom and with colleagues. Okay, so don't doubt yourself uh, that, you, that you can figure things out. On hard days, remember that you are hired for a reason. <laughs> um, it helped me to be able to come up with support options for hard situations by thinking, well, what would I do if, I were, if, I, if this were my classroom? How would I handle this difficult situation? Um, just so that I could generate a few ideas, you know, um, because coming right from a classroom where you'd been successful or you wouldn't be a coach, uh, it actually at least helped you generate ideas. I also think that 
adding a strengths section to your observations and verbally or maybe in a brief note as you leave, share specific positive situations you observed with the teacher and use educationese sometimes, especially for young teachers who are still trying to figure out what all that means. For instance, you might say something like, or write, behavioral expectations, including what happens when expectations are followed or not followed, were clear, visible, to the point, reasonable, and consistently implemented. Or you might say something like, I saw you intentionally working toward building relationships with your students when you greeted them at the door with a smile and asked them questions specific to their lives and interests. Or maybe you say, the number of steps students were asked to remember when you gave directions was appropriate for their developmental level. So when you say things like this, you're not actually, um, you know, saying that you should do this or that or the other. You're just noting what they did, and it's easier for the teacher to remember to do those effective things like not to ask students to remember too many steps when giving directions, which is a very common problem related to classroom management. Um, it helps them to understand that, that they are doing something right. And then that relationship is built. Your positive words as a coach are very, very powerful. Praise what you want to see more of. That was what my, my former boss, my kind of mentor used to say to me. Make sure you praise what you want to see more of. So sometimes we get to working on goals and that sort of thing, and we forget to notice what's already going right. And, um, and then so sometimes then those things get shoved to the side instead of kept. So bring, bring chocolate just in case. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, sometimes it's, yeah, anything you can do. <laughs> Affirming those positive instructional moves is always great and always for an educator fills their bucket, right? And then chocolate, that, that never hurts. That never hurts. Just more, more in the bucket. <laughs> well, and, and we sometimes we want to get the instructional pieces done. And uh, sometimes this practicing self-compassion for ourselves as we learn, you know, you don't have to fix everything immediately. And you can't, as a new coach, even do it now because you're a coach. And... <laughs> And you can't just immediately implement and fix it, right? So even if you might know what you think might work. So that can be a little frustrating when you're a new coach and you're just like, oh, they have to do it. Well, how do I get them to do it? But your job is to support and empower and timing matters in relationships. So um, once you have those goals set, sometimes you can, if it's a bad day, maybe it's after school, teachers on their last nerve and exhausted, you know, maybe that's the day to bring out the chocolate and say, okay, that action step, we're going to postpone when that's due. And, uh, you know, just when they have the energy to do it is the time to you make those positive steps. If they're really, really wiped out, and if you are too, it's really okay to just briefly postpone deadlines on action steps and resume work on them when the teacher and maybe even the coach can find time and energy to address them. Because really, timing counts in relationships. If you try to push people, it's, you know, you want them to do it. There's a, there's a time to push, but not when people are completely exhausted. Yeah, so really moving from that fixer mindset to an empowerment mindset of how can you build up teachers and find the good things that are happening. Because we know every classroom has something wonderful happening in it each day. Um, and it's so important 
That means a lot to teachers to have that recognized. You have to tell us a little bit about Chip's Tips, um, a.k.a. your dog tips on Twitter. And um, it's a great way to promote your message. And Pickles wants to know the secret to becoming part of a coaching brand. She's a little (laughs) jealous. Well, Chip's Tips uh, came about in a funny way. It wasn't planned at all. Um, When the pandemic started and educators were going through so much, uh, trying to adjust to make everything work for students, I would joke with my husband about getting a social media therapy horse for educators. (laughs) (laughs) Add some humor, like, into all the crazy stuff they were dealing with. I mean, it was crazy. So when we decided to get a dog, I just liked the name Chip. So one day after we had had Chip for a month or so, my husband said, hey, C-H-I-P could stand for Coach Happy Inspirational Pup. Awesome. (laughs) This made me laugh so hard. I was like, okay. I decided to try the original therapy horse idea with the dog just to be able to offer support in a fun way. I do believe educators might benefit from a therapy dog (laughs) right about now, and everybody would like one, or at least I wanted one, and I know he lightens my mood every day. As far as for pickles, I think, you know, I think adding the hashtags and stuff to all sorts of different places really helps. (laughs) Well, pickles better note that one. So he's got his, she's got her first tip to take. And I know she already has some pretty good um, leverage on this podcast. So she's got a pretty good start. Her and Chip could take off. We better watch out. They need to get their own podcast. (laughs) They need need to talk. (laughs) Absolutely. That's such a fun way. And I think I agree. I've heard so many educators like, where is my therapy animal? What can I do in order to self-soothe in this time in order to be the best for my students or be the best for my educators or as an admin, the best for all, all the people under the roof, right? Um, Rebecca, we're going to shift into that rapid fire section of our show where we're doing it roughly in 30 seconds or less, our rapid fire questions. So it is your time to shine right now. Tell us a little bit more about where we can learn from and with you and also where we can follow you and what else you have coming down the pike. Okay. So first of all, the book, Joy of Coaching, Characteristics of Effective Instructional Coaches is available at Corwin Press and on Amazon. So in it, you'll find activities, exercises, and actions you can take to build characteristics within yourself that create effective coaching. So there are also many in the trenches stories, lots of specific coaching and instructional strategies and tools. And there's a soak or stress-free opportunities section at the end of each chapter that are easy ways to absorb knowledge. Um, And you can, it's just a whole wide variety of ways to internalize the characteristics, a kind of fun thing. Um, Some of these can be downloaded off the website at coachhappy.com under the tools tab. The planned and inspirational chapters in the book have a variety of straightforward tools and processes that can be quickly adapted to whatever coaching processes you're currently using. I will soon be having a build and bring joy to your coaching class in March as well. You can contact me by sending a message using the contact buttons available on the website. Give me a call or send me a note at hello at coachhappy.com. My Twitter handle is at coach underscore happy, and you can message me there as well. If you'd like to be on my email list, just sign up on the website or contact me again at hello at coachhappy.com. I will also be a keynote speaker at the Simply Coaching Summit in July. 
I know the coaches will be hopping on, grabbing all of those resources as fast as they can and getting your newsletter because you are a wealth of information. And honestly, your philosophy just resonates so deeply with every coach. I feel like if you're going starting in the heart and moving towards the mind, then we're in the right space. So we appreciate that sentiment from you. And, and tell us what is your tagline or your bumper sticker for coaching? Well, I have coach happy where caring and competence meet is kind of a, it's on the website, on the little logo thing. Um, it sums up the findings of the research and the essence of the book. Basically, we can have more effective and joyful coaching if we do it in a way that values both the minds and the hearts of educators. And my license plate also reads joy and then two and then you. <laughs> oh, joy to you. That's amazing. I'm going to be watching for you on I-25. If I find that license plate, I'm going to be like, waving at you. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. What a wonderful message to send out with. And tell us one more, Rebecca, what is your secret coaching superpower or your go-to move? Well, um, for me, I need one that's caring and one that's competency, right? So that I can have both those, uh, on the competency side, my go-to move is organization. My favorite organizational tool has been a four page planner that has a teacher information and coach planning page, a human connection form page. Um, I, that human connection form is the one that I spoke of earlier that developed that had specific things that we added to our coaching practices. Um, then there's a goal setting action plan page and a data tracking page. So you can find this in the plan chapter of the book, but it is my favorite because it just, it just put everything all together in one place and helped us have a way of going through things in an orderly fashion. So then on the caring side, I try to access kind of a, a spiritual place in my heart uh, to listen to my gut when I coach. For instance, um, one time while coaching two young eighth grade male math teachers who were working in a difficult environment, I felt like I should go and buy them a pizza. Okay, so this was weird. It was such a strange thought. I'd never done that before for just a coaching session, and I was busy at the office. It wasn't their lunchtime. I tried to shake it, but it kept coming back. So I bought the pizza and went over to the school. They had just returned from a field trip and were exhausted. I, I didn't know any of this, right? So one uh, had a newborn baby that cried all night, and one had forgotten his lunch. And they were so, like, right out of school. <laughs> I'm so tired. They were never so glad to see me. Um, I think after that, they knew that I was really there for them. And trust was built and coaching progress flourished. Balanced coaching, coaching that includes caring and competency and addresses both the hearts and minds of teachers is coaching that works. How beautiful that you had this coaching intuition that just became the moment of fulfilling the need that you didn't even know was there. Yeah, that was, it was an amazing day. Yeah. Sometimes as a coach, it's like you can almost read the minds. You can feel when you know them that well and you work with them that tightly, you actually just were able to formulate what they needed in that moment without actually hearing. That's just really amazing. I said, well, you, you get to where you're connected with them, I think, you know, and, uh, it's just an amazing, it's an amazing thing. That's one of the greatest things about coaching is they're my friends now. You know, I have these wonderful young male friends and, but that wouldn't have happened with just here. Let's get to the data, you know, let's analyze what happened. Okay. Let's set a goal, which is still really important, 
But if I hadn't done that, they wouldn't have been as interested in those goals. So. Well, you have a tremendous power in seeing people for who they are and honoring their humanistic side and making sure that you're also working towards those competencies. So we appreciate having you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing all of your insights with our listeners. And we're excited to be able to propel you out on Twitter and everywhere else so we can share you with as many people as possible. Oh, thank you so much. If anybody, I can send, if you want the human connection form, I will send it to you. If you just want to uh, email me at, at uh, hello at coachhappy.com, I will, I will send you a copy of that. Well, I'm sure your inbox will be flooded here in a few minutes. And thank, thank you for everything today. And we appreciate having you on C3. All right. Thank you for having me, Courtney and Violet. You guys rock. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. The coaching data just blew our minds. We always knew the importance of relationships, but hearing the data just reinforces the importance of building rapport. Timing counts in building relationships. How might you start building stronger relationships with your coaches? Thanks for listening and be sure to follow us on Twitter at C3 Coaches. C3, connecting coaches, cognition. Whose thinking will you mediate today?